You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. West Wind Church, how we doing? Whoo, it's going to be good. Welcome back to the Roaring Twenties. We are in 2020, and I am making sure we call it the, the Roaring Twenties. I personally think we should all get, bring those like suspenders back and like, bring in some swing dance and music. It'll be good stuff. Did everyone have a good Christmas? Yeah? Anyone get some good presents? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> the nice, beautiful silence. I love it. Well, I am so grateful that we are here today in a new year. Um, this Sunday actually marks two years for me being here at Westwind, moving all the way up from Atlanta, Georgia, up here to Iowa, and it's just been a blessing and a, just a humbling experience being here and serving you all and serving our students. I'm just, and just I cannot express how blessed I am. But for this entire year, we are going to be walking through the Gospel of Luke. And so if this is your first time here, or your first time in a long time, we just have a desire to preach the Bible, to help people walk through the Bible, to to understand what it means, how it integrates into our life, to help each and every single one of us understand that the Bible is something for all of us to engage in and has God's word directly to us, how it's going to impact us. And so this whole year, we're walking through the gospel of Luke to understand one key theme, the th- who the real Jesus is. We're looking and we're understanding this idea of the testimonies that were written down, the historical events that actually happened. Like the Bible is not, it's not filled with fairy tales. It's not filled with things that may or may not happen. These are the eyewitness accounts of people who saw something that changed the world and actively can change the way you live your everyday life. And so I'm so excited because today we're continuing that series and right now we're in the book of Luke. We're in chapter 2, and so if you have your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read this true historical event, this testimony for us, and then I'll pray for us, and then we'll dive right in. Sound good? Sweet. Little, Little warning, I am from the South, and I do love that very much, but one thing about the South is we just get excited about God's Word. So, If you haven't before, you have all of my permission to get as uncomfortable as you want and engage with the word. If you want to talk back, you want to do whatever you got to do. I just like to know that what we're talking about applies to your life because we are all in this together. So that being said, who's ready for the word of God? Let's do this. All right. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21. I'm going to put on what my students refer as my dad glasses, but I think they're the coolest thing ever. I love them very much. So Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21. It says, Eight days later, when the baby, Jesus, was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel, even before he was conceived. Then it was time for the, their purification offering, as required by the law of Moses, after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required by the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was a righteous and devout and a devout man and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. 
The Holy Spirit was upon him, and he had re- and it had been revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he, he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher. She was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph. She began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly to God, for God to rescue Israel or rescue to Jerusalem. When Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. There the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was on him. And God, we just pray. And we ask that you would be here, that you would be so evident. You already are here. You already are present. But God, I just pray for our hearts that we would, just, we would understand that this morning, that we would embrace and, and open our eyes to the fact that you are here with us. I pray for everyone in this room who needs you the most. For those of us whose 2020 has not started as great as they would hope, I pray that you are with them, that you would comfort them, that you would excite them about what you are doing in and out of our lives. But I pray most especially, God, for the people this morning who feel like they need you the least, the people who this year, it's just another year, it's just another Christmas, it's just another New Year's, there's nothing different, it's the same old, same old. God, I pray that in the weirdest way you would crush that person this morning and help them understand that you want to change everything. And so we thank you for what you've given us. You are so good. You're so loving. And all God's people said, amen. All right, there is so much to be said about this passage. I am, I'm just so excited about what God is going to do in this passage. But one thing that I want us all to be very clear about is what Luke is specifically trying to do in this passage. See, he's a, he's a very smart guy, and Pastor Keith and many others have talked about how he is very articulate and very precise in the information that he's gathering. And so through the writing of this testimony— Luke wants to make very clear to us that Mary was not the only one who believed that Jesus is the Messiah. You see, in Luke chapters 1 through 2, Jesus is affirmed uh, by many people, but not just Mary. He's being affirmed by the angel Gabriel. He's been affirmed by Elizabeth, who has miraculously conceived a child in her old age by a dude we name as John the Baptist. He's pretty cool. He was affirmed by shepherds. He was affirmed, and now we're going to see in the temple, he's being affirmed by two other prophets, Simeon and Anna, because it's, it's pretty easy if someone came up to you and he said, hey, 
I'm, I've got a baby coming, but don't worry, I wasn't promiscuous or anything, it's the Lord. It's easy to get skeptical of that. But if you have other people, people with high reputation, people like angels, lowly people like shepherds, people with high reputation like prophets, if they're also saying, yeah, that's the Messiah, it's going to be a little bit more and more, increasingly more difficult to deny who this child really is. And so eight days after the birth of Jesus, we're told of Mary and Joseph's dedication to following the law of Moses, or what we would call the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through, uh, yeah, Deuteronomy. Yeah, it's the fifth book, uh, Deuteronomy. And so those first five books are what is referred to as the law of Moses. And so part of the law required them to go into the temple. It required them, in Exodus 13, 2, they required that if it's a baby, is this a boy, is the firstborn, you got to take him to the temple and you got to dedicate him to the Lord. They had to get specific sacrifices. It says like two, it says two young pigeons as well. Um, and so that's part of Leviticus 12, 8. And so here at the temple, God has set up this divine appointment for them to encounter two people that would affirm that Jesus is the Messiah. And so when they arrive at the temple, the first person we meet is Simeon. Now, Luke is very specific about what we should understand about Simeon. We see this in the passage in Luke 25 through, uh, 2, 25 through 27. Check this out in your Bibles. We can see right here in this passage, it says, Simeon, he's a prophet. It says he's a righteous and devout man. He's guided and filled by the Holy Spirit. And God gave him a specific promise that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. That's pretty good news. Like, you, you're pretty special if someone's telling you, hey, you're not going to die until this happens. Cool. That's like assurance right there. And he's promised that. But we also know that he is waiting expectantly for God to rescue Israel. Now, for those who may not be familiar, you're going to see this a lot, especially in this passage, this idea of rescuing Israel, the redemption of Israel, the redemption of Jerusalem, rescuing Jerusalem. What that means is, is they're referring to something that's been happening for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. They're talking about way before Jesus was born, the, the nation of Israel was in exile due to their disobedience and their rebellion against God. And so in the midst of that, they're feeling hopeless and broken. They're feeling they're too far gone. They've they've done too much. God has abandoned them, that they are lost forever. But then God sends his prophets to tell them that there's good news. And the good news is that God has not abandoned them. He has not forsaken them. In fact, even though they're in exile right now, God is going to come and liberate them from all of their enemies. He's going to liberate them. And in fact, he's going to establish his kingdom and his rule. And every nation will bow and confess that God is Lord. He will live sovereignly over. Israel will be on top. And it was good, good news. And they were excited. But how this kingdom would come about was through this person called the Messiah. The Messiah is the person who's foretold who will usher in the kingdom of God. So when, granted, they've been waiting for this Messiah for a long time. So when you start hearing news that baby Jesus is on the road, he here at the temple, whoo, people are going to start getting a little bit excited if, it, if it's true. And so what happens, look again at Luke chapter 2, verse 27, because God promised Simeon he wouldn't die until he met that Messiah, and God made good on that promise. 
So verse 27, so when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there and he took the child in his arms, praising God, saying, sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to the God of the, and uh, to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Now skip down to Luke 2:38 real quick because we see Anna also confirms this very same thing when she says at that very moment she came up and began to thank God and speak to everyone who was in the temple everyone around looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem confirming the Messiah is here he's here he's the salvation he's the one who's going to save us it's good news it's really good news. The only thing I have seen in my lifetime, something close to this excitement, was over this past New Year's. I've been, I was down in Atlanta, Georgia, and I got the privilege to go to this thing called Passion Conference, which is started by Louis Guglio and John Piper. And so they started back in 1998. And this past year, we ran in the, in the new year, 2020, worshiping God together. And something that was so powerful is over 65,000 thousand 18 to 25 year olds are gathered together praising God and worshiping him united to see that God would come again and that the glory of God would be revealed to all the nations and so how we did that was they started a movement that is through this uh, organization called Illumination, uh, Illumination's Bible. And so it's an alliance that gathers all the Bible translator organizations and they had a vision uh, like a, they have a purpose they have something they're reaching for and that purpose is that they want to see all remaining languages in the world trans, have a Bible translation by 2033. And so they put it up to college students, broke college students, to kickstart this movement. So in only a couple hours, over 65,000 young adults raised over a million dollars to kickstart this mission. Like, if that's not excitement for the Lord, come on now. They are ready to see God here. They're ready to see all people have a Bible translation. They are ready and they are bought in and they are prepared. However, it's all good and dandy and good news. And it's very exciting. But then Simeon, he, he, he changes the gears a little bit because something that comes out of his mouth next was not exactly what Mary was expecting. So if you go on, you see a little bit down in the passage, it says Simeon, he doesn't stop there. He goes on to paint more of a complete picture of the real Jesus, what the Old Testament also refers to as the suffering servant. So check this out. It says Simeon blessed them, but he told his mother Mary, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to rise and fall. And he has been sent as a sign from God but many will oppose him. And as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. What? Hold up right here. <laughs> the nation of Israel is looking for a Messiah who would come as a conquering king. We see this in several different places. Psalm 2, Isaiah 40, he's gonna come with a mighty arm. He's gonna like deliver us from the nations. It's all good. But the Messiah was supposed to establish the kingdom of God. He's supposed to establish and unite the people of Israel. And now you're telling me he's not going to unite us. He's going to cause many to rise and many to fall? That's a little different. That's not what I was necessarily expecting. Yet now Simeon 
is saying that the Messiah would cause us to rise and fall. And even more so, he gets even more personal. He says a sword is going to pierce your very soul, Mary. I thought he was going to, like, unite the people, you know? I thought he was, was going to unite us. I think many of us struggle with this in the same way. I think all of us, we love to hear that God loves us, that God cares for us, that God forgives us, that he's going to reconcile all things. You just got to trust and believe in him. It's all going to be good. We love hearing that stuff. But then when the moment that God says things like these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. When Jesus tells you to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, when he says, hey, if you follow me, people will hate you. You're going to be persecuted. That's like, whew, I like the good stuff. But the hard stuff, I'm not too sure. <laughs> Why would he come at a sword against us? Why would he want our hearts to be exposed? Why wouldn't God, like, I'm not the only one who's probably thought this. Why does he want our hearts to be exposed? Why doesn't he want, like, the heart of, like, the dude who cusses all the time at my work? Why does he want his heart to be exposed? Why does he want my heart to be exposed? Why doesn't he want the heart of my enemies to be exposed? Why is he specifically saying that he's going to come and expose the heart of many of Israel, of his children? Why is he going to expose their heart? Why would he take a sword and pierce it into my soul? Why don't he take a sword and strike down the people who say bad things about me and Jesus? Why didn't he strike down people who, who ridiculed Jesus, who make fun of Jesus, the people in my work who don't give two flips about Jesus? Why doesn't he strike them down? Why doesn't he accuse them? What, what's going on here, Jesus? This doesn't sound like the Jesus I was wanting. I, what's going on here? But what happens is the point of all this is that he wants to expose our hearts. He needs to expose our hearts. He needs to expose our hearts. So it's actually really fascinating. Speaking of Passion Conference in Atlanta and 65,000 young adults, woo, I, amongst all the speakers and the musicians and the bands and the, the words from people like John Piper, Robbie Zacharias, Tim Tebow, yeah, Sadie Robertson, like Christine Kane. There's so many good speakers and Hillsong and Elevation. They're all there. It was all amazing. But my favorite part had nothing to do with anything that was scheduled. My favorite part actually happened in the middle of a session, and I was, I was standing, I was just sitting around, I was getting myself some Chick-fil-A, like a good Christian, and <laughs> yeah, I was sitting waiting for my line and food, and there was this guy standing next to me, and he was doing some notes. I thought he was a pastor, and he was writing a sermon. That's how many notes, you know, if you see a guy on a table, and if they're at a Christian conference, they got some notes spread everywhere. You can assume he's probably ready for Sunday. Like, he's prepping it up. And so I was like, hey, he's a pastor. I'm a pastor. We're going to, like, connect, and we're going to become besties. It's going to be good. So I came over there. I was like, hey, man, what are you writing? And I get to learn more about him. And he's a, he's a Russian immigrant pastor in Sacramento, California, who also works as an EMT. And we had just the most like life-giving conversation. I, got, I was just pouring my heart out to him and we were just talking about life and I was telling him some of the things I was struggling with and some of the ways people have hurt me and we were just talking through so many good things and he began to explain to me how wounds work because he works as an EMT in, in the medical field. He was explaining how wounds work. He says, this is how they work. When you have a wound, like if, you know, I, I was working or something, I got to like a gash in my arm. Ah, eh, ah, it's bleeding. So I take like a bandage or whatever, and I could just like bandage it up and like stop the bleeding. Cool. Usually, now, usually what I do is like if I have a, like I have a big gash in my arm, I'm the guy who's just going to like whip it up, bandage it up. Cool. Ignore it. It'll be fine. <laughs> It'll heal. I'll be good. And he said, that's what a lot of people do. But what most people don't understand is that even if you bandage a wound, 
and the skin repairs and it heals, that skin in that place still is weak. It's a weak point now. It may be healed and it looked good and you got a little scar or whatever, but now for germs, that is an easier access point for germs to get into your body. And so what has to happen for wounds to truly heal is you have to expose the wound so that it can be washed, so that medicine can be put inside of it, so that you can put antibacteria or hydrogen peroxide or whatever doctors use, and they put it all in there, and then you bandage it up. So when the skin heals, it's just as strong as the rest of your body. And I found this so fascinating. And I tell you this because, man, it's, it's so much like us. The proper thing to do is expose that wound, to expose it. And I think it's so similar to what the Israel is looking for. They're looking for the comfort, the consummation of Israel, the kingdom of God. Woo, it's good stuff. But what happened is there was still a wound. Jesus came and there's still a wound. Look at your neighbor and say, there's still a wound. (laughs) There's still a wound and Jesus came to address that wound. And the wound is sin. The wound is the selfish nature within their hearts that's been there since the beginning of beginning of creation, the fall of man. The sin had entered the world, and it separates us from our relationship with God. And Jesus came to heal that wound. All they had done was covered it up. They just covered it up, and they dressed it with different things. They just bandaged it over. They didn't have the medicine. They didn't put medicine. They just covered it up. Jesus came to heal the wound. So if a wound has to be healed, what does it need to be? exposed. It needs to be exposed. And many of us today, we would say we want to be good Christians like Jesus. Many of us still, however, have our wounds only covered. It's easy to go about our day doing our regular thing, doing our regular routine, go to church on Sunday, doing whatever we want. We may make a mistake in life. We may make mistakes or have problems. But ultimately what happens is you have that wound on you. Someone hurts you. You make a mistake and you say, well, you know what? I just got to move on. That's life. I just got to move on and move forward. I make a mistake. I have a secret sin. I got something that I'm covering up. I'm not going to tell anybody. Me and God, we got this. Like, I'm just going to pray about it, go to church, do my thing. It's okay. And you may feel fine. But all you're doing in the midst of that is you're just, you're covering it up. And that doesn't heal the wound. In fact, when we cover those things up, and we don't let Christ come into our life, convict us, challenge us, expose the things that need to be exposed. All it does, it may look like it's healed. You may feel better about it, but the devil can use that as a weakness and exploit it. And when you actually start then, you know, ministering for the gospel, sharing God's love with others, he'll use that to shatter you. We see this in pastors. We see this all over the country right now. You see these people who are failing and, and they have these secret sins that all of a sudden come out. And now it's, that means they've had wounds that weren't actually healed. They were just covered up. And the devil used it to exploit it. Israel had its own surgery, heart surgery, soul surgery. They had their wound exposed. And it's not easy. It's painful. But it needs to happen. Like you ever had a Band-Aid? And you, you have some out, you got to pull the Band-Aid off. <laughs> like, it's not good. <laughs> but a little sting is painful. But it needs to happen. For Israel, their wound had to be exposed. Jesus said that many, we see this in the passage, he said, this child will cause many in Israel to rise and to fall. 
How did he do this? He lifted up the outcasted. He healed the blind, but he also rebuked the Pharisees. He, he addressed the, those who were outcasted. He healed lepers, but he also casted people out of the temple. He caused people to rise. Those who were seen as last, Jesus made first. And those who thought they were first, Jesus pointed them out as last. He caused many to rise and many to fall. He had to teach the word with authority. He taught it with grace and truth, but he had to be very pointed and teach the truth to them. And he exposed the sinful ways within people's hearts. Now, for an example, y'all know the story of the Good, uh, the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan? If you're not familiar with it, it's great stuff. Uh, most people, we teach you like Bible and little, you know, kids church and all this stuff, and it's good stuff. The story is that there is this Jewish man, Jesus tells this parable, this Jewish man was on the road, and he was beaten up, and he was left for dead. And what happens is a Levite, who's a Jew, walks by, sees the Jew, keeps going. And he's like, see ya. Like, that's too awkward for me. Um, then... A priest comes by who's also a Jew. He sees the guy, skirt, sorry, too awkward for me. Like, I can't, I'm not going to address you right now. But who does come to his rescue is a Samaritan. Now, what most people may not know is that the moment Jesus said, and a Samaritan man walked by, everyone in the crowd would have listened to him, would have been like, mm-mm, no, he didn't. Why? Because there was huge racism for over 700 years between Samaritans and Jews. Lots of racism and hatred going on between these two people groups. And so when Jesus said that the Samaritan was the one who helped them, man, these, they would have been sharing this on Facebook and lots of angry reactions would have been going on in that post. It would not have been very popular. It was not a nice, happy story. It would have been incredibly controversial in their culture and in their community. So, but what is he doing? He's exposing their wounds. What's their wound? The sin that is ruling their heart and is keeping them far from God. Mary also had to go through this. She's believed that she's, she's raising the Messiah. She's got God in her, she had God in her belly. Like she's told that she's gonna raise the Messiah as her son. What a blessing. But was also told to her and that he would pierce her very soul. Simeon revealed that Mary, that she would experience a lifetime of soul surgery. She would experience a lifetime as she would raise the Messiah who would not liberate them from Rome, but liberate them from the evil within their hearts through his death and his resurrection. That's, that's hard. We are going to see this next week where she starts experiencing some of this tension when Jesus, he's going to be at the temple and they leave him and they forget him for th- and they have to go back and it takes three days to get there. Like it's going to take a three-day journey. You're separated from your kid. They find him. He's in the temple and they're just like, Jesus, like, what are you doing? Like, what's going on here? We'll learn more about this next week. But she, her entire life, she's got these moments where she, ha- she realizes that he's going to pierce her soul. This isn't exactly how I expected it would happen. See, what God wants us to understand is that by exposing your wound, exposing the convictions, the, th- the times when God convicts you, when the times when God is trying to create opportunities to reveal the things in our hearts, what he's doing is he's trying to help us have a new heart. He's trying to heal us and wash us clean. We see this in Ezekiel eleven nineteen, which says, I'll put a new spirit in them. I'll give them a new heart. Ezekiel 36, 26, you have to give yourself a new heart, a new spirit. Ezekiel 18, 31. Through this, you have to have a teachable heart. You have to be willing to receive the hard stuff, to receive the conviction, to receive when God is trying to expose the hearts and the thoughts of many. It had to happen. Do you want to know why it has to
to happen? Because the kingdom of God, they want the kingdom of God, that, that comfort they're looking for, the thing that gets them excited, that gets all of us excited. Like in Revelation, when we see that, you know, the new kingdom is going to be here, where there'll be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, death will be gone forever. Woo, that's good. We want that all to happen. We want it to happen. We want Jesus to be back right now. I, I, my friends joke about this all the time. Something bad happens on TV or whatever. Like, Jesus, please come back tomorrow. Like, the world's getting crazy. Are you, you know what else saying that? Like, you watch, like, the news. Okay, cool. I'll just make sure. Maybe my family's weird. <laughs> we want that to happen. But before it can happen, you have to have the exposure of your heart. Why? Because the kingdom of God. In order for the kingdom of God to come about, it says in Revelation that nothing impure can enter the kingdom of God. So in order for the kingdom of God to be brought about, we're going to live in the new heavens and the new earth, live together, reign with God, and it's all going to be good. In order that, for that to happen, you can't have sin in your heart. So until then, we have to understand that as our mission, in order for our mission, we have to have the spirit of God. The spirit of God is what gives us the power to minister to people, the power to endure hardship, the power to do things that helps others see his goodness and his love and his grace. But in order for you to receive the spirit of God, you gotta have your heart exposed. You gotta have the gunk that's in your soul ripped out of you. You gotta allow Jesus to be the good physician who's gonna come at you with a sword. And he may, it may be hard because a sword looks dangerous, but in the hands of a doctor, he's gonna cut it open and be the, the very precise hands that will bring all the bad stuff out of you so that instead he can replace it with his spirit and instead you'll be given love and joy and peace and all these things that you can't explain and when people look at you and they're like where'd this come from why are you so different what's going on with you you can say it's because of Jesus Woo! it's gonna be good in order for all that to happen you gotta go through the hard stuff you got to go through the hard stuff. Jesus uh, said in Luke 9.23, Griffin, you know it? Luke 9.23? Put him on the spot. Sorry, he's in our discipleship program. <laughs> Sorry, I just thought of it just now. I didn't warn him beforehand. He's, uh, it's one of his memory verses. So Luke 9.23, Jesus says, if anyone wants to be my follower, they have to do what? Yeah, deny themselves, take up their cross. You got to deny yourself. And it's hard, but it has to happen. This is what I want us all to walk away with. This is happening to me so that God, so that Christ may work through me. This, the exposure of your heart, the conviction of your soul, the times where you have to have those hard conversations, it is happening to you so that Christ may work through you. If it doesn't happen, you're going you're gonna to restrict yourself, your ability to actually join in in the joy and the glory that God offers. It has to happen so that Christ may work through you. Jesus needs to get into every crevice of your heart. There can't be secrets. There can't be hidden things that are tucked away that you hope you never have to talk about again. He has to get into every crevice of your heart. We have to deny ourselves and take up our cross. When you face persecution, when you go into your workplace, when you go into places and people are like, you're a Christian? I thought Christians, like, you know, they hate these people. And they, they I thought all Christians, like, they vote for this guy or they do this or they do that. And, the, and people assume what you believe. They assume all these things and they're all these negative things. And they, they just put away Christianity and think it's just not for them. They just want to live the way they're living. When you experience the persecution and people look at you and judge you because you say you follow Jesus, it has to happen 
to you so that Christ may work through you. So what is that wound that needs to be exposed? What is the area of your life that you are covering up? Maybe it's a sin that you've tried to, to overcome on your own strength. Maybe it's a hurt. Maybe it's someone that hurt you really badly, someone who's wounded you and you're angry with God and you've refused to pray, you've refused to be in his presence and, and the one who comforts and restores. Jesus needs to get into every crevice of your heart and bring out all the gunk that infects your soul. What's that, what's that thing that you've just, you've covered up? What's that thing you've covered up and you haven't let Jesus put his healing hands on it? It needs to happen. He needs to address it so that he can work through you. So how can we allow Jesus to be that good physician? How can we allow him to be the one who heals everyone to expose our hearts? Well, one way is we can learn through the example of Anna. We see this later in the passage. Um, if you have your Bibles, go look back again down to Luke. I think it's chapter or verse. I'm gonna get it wrong for you. Down in verse 30. Whoop! Lose your place in your Bible. Here it is. Verse 36. Can we throw that on the screen for us? Verse 36. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple, and she was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher. She was getting very old. But what did she do? She she lost her husband after only seven years. Yeah, after only seven years, she lost her husband and was a widow until how old? It says she was 84. Whew, that's hard. You've only been married for that short amount of time and you lose your husband? She had every right to turn that into a wound that she covered up and, and be bitter towards God and to say, God, you did me wrong. You wronged me. You didn't do right by me. You took my husband away from me. But instead, what does she do? She's at the temple every single day, day and night, praising, fasting, and worshiping God. Why waiting for the Messiah to return or the Messiah to, to arrive and to usher in the kingdom of God? When was the last time you spent a long time with the Lord? When was the last time you just got down on your knees and every time something bad happens, you're just like, God, like, I don't get it. I don't understand why it's happening. I don't understand what you're doing in my life. What are you doing, God? When was the last time you just sat there and let him be the one who started to uncover that bandage and to start healing it? When was the last time you just prayed and were with him? Some of us may have been bitter or angry. For, your, for you, your wound may have been something you said to your kids over Christmas break. could have been something you said to your wife or your spouse. And maybe what you need to do is you need to go up to them and you're just like, hey, look, what I said is I'm, I'm sorry. It was wrong of me. And even if you don't feel like you were wrong, still say you're sorry anyways because it hurts still. <laughs> the moment that we start allowing God to convict our hearts and we humble ourselves, we start uncovering and exposing that wound. When we have hard conversations, maybe you've had something that you've been keeping secret, you share it with your life group. Be in community with other people. Don't try to do life alone or do it in your own strength. You gotta share with them. Do life with one another. By doing that, you're uncovering the bandage. You're exposing the wound And when you start doing that, you know what happens? When we start exposing the wound, Jesus will heal it. Jesus will start. It was hard. It is a painful process. You ever have a cut? Someone touches it with like hydrogen peroxide. You're like, ah, no, it's painful. But it has to happen so that it can be healed. 
So he exposes our wounds so that, in fact, he will take, you know, he'll take our sin. He'll take the thing that's infecting us. He'll take the thing that's hurting us. He take on our sin, and he takes it on to himself. Why? So that by his wounds, we can be healed. Amen? Yeah. What would it look like if we decided to be a church that understands that this is happening to me so that Christ may work through me? How would it change the way that we approach the hard things of mistakes that we make? How would it change the way that we may necessarily talk to your, to our, our, your spouse? How would it change the way that you may talk to your kids? If you live in such a way that your heart is always open to him, your heart is always exposed to him, it's always going at it with an open hand, what would it look like? We would be consistently in humility. We would consistently be people who would be able to, it may hurt, it may be hard, it may be uncomfortable, God may have to expose our heart, but you know what? In the midst of that, he's healing the wound. He's exposing the wound so that you and I could understand why he wants to take our wound. He takes our wound so that in his perfect hands, he can transform it. He can turn it around. He can be someone who's going to use it for his glory, who's going to use the things, the mistakes that you've made, the decisions that you've made, whatever's going on, maybe something that someone has done to you, something that happened in your life that you didn't cause. If we just get, take the temptation and be bitter, it's going to break us down. But if we expose our heart to God and we allow him to be the one who, who comforts us, who turns it around for his glory, then he will use that to be a witness to other people to see how God is the true comfort. God is the one who restores. God is the one who takes things around and can take the weirdest circumstances and make it into a testimony, make it into something that helps and changes and transforms someone else's life. When we include people into that journey, into that joy, into that love, people will be attracted to it. Why? Because they're going to be missing out on it. People are attracted to what they're missing out on. And I think if we all understood that this, the exposure of our hearts is happening to us so that Christ may work through us, I think people will realize they're missing out on something. They'll realize that what we have is different than just living any other life because we got Jesus. He's here to redeem us. He's here to rescue us. He came and he, he, he did what he needed to do. And now, because he died and rose again, when we believe in him, we can have the spirit of God in our hearts who empowers us to keep moving forward. Is this good news, anyone? Well, I hope as we get ready to close out and to pray, I, want you, I just want you to think through that. What's that thing that you may be hiding away from God? What's that thing that you may be bandaging up and covering up and trying to conquer on your own. Once you understand, Jesus is still running after you. He's still going to be coming after you and he wants to unwrap and expose the wound so that he can work through you just like he works through his people and he exposes their hearts. He exposes and pierces the soul of Mary. He exposes the sinful ways of people that they would oppose him, that they would oppose him. It, it causes opposition when people, they will kind of feel pushed against, and because of that, they ended up crucifying him. But it is through his crucifixion and his death that we now have restoration 
that we now have hope, that we now have glory, is good stuff. Let me pray for us. And uh, as you bow your heads and you close your eyes, I just want to, I don't want to do anything like crazy weird. It's very simple. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you know that there's something, you hear these words and you know there's something in your heart that you've kept covered up, bandaged up, would you, and you know that that's there and you know God's got to expose that so you can be truly healed. If that's you, would you just like raise your hand real quick? I just want to know so I can pray for you. You just put it up, put it back down, whatever you need to do. You can keep it up, raise both hands, I don't care. But I just want to know so I can know I'll be praying for you right now. Good, good, amen, amen. God, I just pray that we would understand what you're doing in this passage, these people and this prophecy, that you are the Messiah who comes to bring about the kingdom of God. But before that has to happen, God, you are the one who had to suffer and die. You are the one who exposed the hearts of many so that our hearts could be transformed. You did the hardest thing that any person could possibly ever do. But you did it because you loved us so much. God, I just pray that our, this church, we would be a people who would open ourselves up to allow you to work into our hearts, that we would uncover all the things we're hiding away, the things that we think may be healed and gone, but we never really address them, that we would open it up and that we would expose it so that you could heal it, so that we'll find reconciliation with not just you, but the people around us, and that we could use the things that hurt us deep down, that we could use them and turn them around to show your glory to show your love, to show your grace, to show the world that you are a God who's worth dying for, who's worth giving everything that we have. I pray, God, we would be a people who would live so humbly and deny ourselves so that we could live in glory through you and through your son, Jesus, through the spirit that you're working in and of our lives, God. We thank you for all that you have given us. And all God's people said, amen.